your head out of the clouds Get your feet back on the ground Get stuck into pop culture Weird stick around Hello there and welcome to Stick Around The first podcast since Brexit, which has definitely now happened Great, now we've got the following back Smoking in pubs Tea Angel Delight Blue Passports Democracy Baked Beans Pizzas Stodgy Food <laughs> Chips I've just copied you <laughs> Maypole Dancing Jim Davidson <laughs> The British Flag <laughs> Sexual Harassment In the Workplace <laughs> uh, A Points Based Immigration System I don't know Tabloid Newspapers <laughs> The best talent from abroad. Cole. <laughs> Thatcher. Uh, People getting clips round the ears. <laughs> I think that does about does it. I mean, you know, uh, we've uh, horse-drawn carriages. Horse, yeah, we'll, we'll edit that one in. Uh, we've not got enough uh, colonialism. <laughs> this could just be the podcast. Slavery. <laughs> <laughs> this is now sounding like that Team, team America when uh, they're just listing things at the end. <laughs> the Great British Empire. <laughs> Winston Churchill. Big fat cigars that were actually probably made in Cuba. <laughs> right, well, edit, edit this last little Bed, bit. Bath and Beyond. <laughs> I could go on. Anyway, right, we should probably right. fucking start the podcast. Hang on, hang on, long, hang on. Longest... I've got a sponsor, haven't I? Cut this off. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, brought to you by Superb Owl 54, the only owl sanctuary certified as cracking by Ronnie Corbett. <laughs> Where is it? In Keefley, oh. which ironically is the birthplace of Josh, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that's how it works. <laughs> Everyone in Keefley has the surname Keefley. It's incredibly confusing, which is why most of them generally move out. Probably incestuous as well, which explains a lot about Josh. Ooh. You can't cut him down while he's not here. <laughs> That's a way of testing whether people uh, listen to the podcast by insulting them. Okay, yeah. I've got I've got a list here of supposed listeners. I'll make sure I insult every single one of them. <laughs> JT2357 Absolute cunt (laughs) I know you gave our podcast five stars But you are the biggest wanker And to be honest I wish you didn't listen Um, Right anyway We're here for Stick around um, Just episode 143 I think I'm going to take a gamble I've not looked it up So if I'm wrong I apologise We're going to talk about stuff We've had a bit of a break Um, Not for really any reason Other than I've not really had tech I've been uh, elves a lot and I don't have my stuff there I've now got this microphone here so it's we're back up and running uh, we're going to do this episode probably about some stuff coming out this year it sounds like a lot but not necessarily and then um, we'll start our list episodes next hopefully next week um, how, has, how has everyone been except for are you all sort of just you know loving Brexit did um, anyone live anywhere where they were letting off fireworks uh? unfortunately yes yeah same they were quite far away though so I was a bit like alright 
Because, I mean, I do live in Burngreave, which is essentially everyone is an immigrant, so it would have been a bit weird. Uh, well, <laughs> if everyone was like, yeah, fucking yeah. One of the fireworks, quite elaborate actually, exploded in the <laughs> sky to reveal an image of Boris Johnson kicking a brown person. And it was, uh, <laughs> that is pretty very elaborate. Very elaborate, yeah. <laughs> You've got to give them credit, you know. They might be racist and stupid, but, you know, they make a good firework. But did they get that? I'm assuming they probably went to China to get that made. Probably, yeah. Uh-oh. Which, uh-oh. uh-oh, yeah. Well, let's not go there. I doubt it was made in Britain. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, it's been... Uh, I've just got a settled status, you'll be delighted to know. Got got the email Fox. through today. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, they actually got it through yesterday. I was expecting the email to say yet again that the, this evidence is not good enough. Could you please provide us with every single fish and chip order you've done in the last five years to prove that you really are quite British. Um, but no, apparently... apparently. You, need to, you need to take a video of yourself uh, singing Rule Britannia on the White Cliffs of Dover to prove your loyalty. Please send attached. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, I did that, and apparently it was good enough, so they sent me a letter saying thanks. Because, I mean, I always assumed I had indefinite leave to remain. It turns out I've been living here for so long and I don't think I did have it. I'll tell you what, that's that's a confusion, confusing term given the uh, the terminology around the uh, the vote, isn't it? Leave to remain. That's Yeah. <laughs> it is. I've always thought that. It's like indefinite leave to... What? It's just it's contradictory. <laughs> I think that's because at some point they can go, no, that's not what it meant. It's, it says leave in it. We just wanted you to, to, to leave. <laughs> and then they'll just get kick everyone out. Do you so. know the, wor- the worst thing about this is, I was actually stressed about you being forced to leave ages ago, and then I think you told us that you were fine. So you you <laughs> sent us this email today. I'm like, I didn't even know this was in question. <laughs> well, I thought I was fine, but I thought, and I'm glad I did because for a settled status, you get four years out of the country and you can come back and still be fine. With indefinite leave to remain, the previous one, it was only two years. So I was like, well, and also apparently it's just easier because. It's easier to prove and all that. So I was like, okay, well, I might as well do it. And so I sent off my mum's letter that, like, said that she's got indefinite leave to remain. And they were like, well, th- this letter doesn't have your name on it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but then they, they, they were quite efficient, to be fair. They said, um, you just need to prove that you were in England during this, this one year it was that they couldn't find because I was at uni. I just sent them my uni certificate and they were like, yeah, that's all right. I suppose we'll let you stay. I think it's because I'm single-handedly keeping up the music education sector, but yeah, I'm quite scared that, that yeah. I might leave. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. So good times. Um, I've been. What have people been up to? Watching lots of films and stuff, or has it been yeah. a quiet start to the new year? No, no. I've been watching loads of films. Um, there's so many films I could talk about today. Uh, I'll have Ooh. to save them up for other pods. It's that kind of award season, so you get a lot of good movies coming out. And yeah, obviously true. some stinkers that somehow get, you know, award nominated as well. Um, but yeah, lots of TV, lots of movies, even a few games for me. Ooh, bit, bit of music. Ooh, Michael, what have you been uh, wasting your time with? Music mostly. <laughs> Haven't been to the cinema since October. Believe it or not, he's been missing out. Mm. Yeah, so. yeah there's, some, there's some good stuff, but music, excellent. I've been mainly catching up on 2019 stuff for the lists, because I take my lists very seriously. Some would say too seriously. Um, not me. Not me, Clive. No, not good. Yeah. Not me either. <laughs> I, I, fi- I, fin- I finished 2019 and then looked at other people's lists, and I was like, I've not heard of this stuff, so then I proceeded to have to listen to it, because I felt like my list was inept. 
That always happens, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I've, I've mainly been doing that, which I'm not going to talk about, but will appear in the list that we do. So a lot of films from last year and stuff, which I've really enjoyed. I quite like this kind of catch-up uh, part of the year. I'm a fan of it. Um, anyway, so let's get started. So I'm going to go last because I'm hosting, and that's just, just a nice thing to do, isn't it? Your problem. Um, let's start with Michael Johnson over in... Where are you today? Eagles uh, Cliff. The Cliff of Eagles. <laughs> I will bother you this week. Did you yeah. see any eagles on the way in? Um, yes, I uh, nearly lost an eyeball. <laughs> um, obviously, they weren't used to my scent. You know, you've got, plays the you've got to make an offering to them before you're allowed to live on their cliff. <laughs> yep, clearly. Uh, okay, I'm going to. Um, well, I'm not. I mean, I'm not really going to talk at length about this. It's just some random thoughts. But I've been watching Mad Men. So I thought I'd talk a little bit about that. Um, I've only watched um, the first season and a handful of episodes from the second so far, which uh, isn't that many because it's a very long show. Uh, well, fairly long. I think it's 92 episodes, of which I've seen uh, 16. But the impression that I've got from those episodes has been so strong uh, that I thought I would talk about it anyway. I think even more so than other uh, staples of the golden age of TV that I've seen, like The Wire and The Sopranos. I think Mad Men might have uh, the highest concentration of 10 out of 10 episodes among its opening episodes for me. I think that description applies to two of the first three episodes. Um, absolutely sensational stuff. Uh, the, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure how many people listening to this wouldn't be familiar with the premise of the show, but obviously it's set during the 1960s uh, on Madison Avenue in the advertising industry. And every, the contemporary details, the set designs, um, you know, I think they're right down to a really quite granular level. They're uh, very impressive, uh, amazing to look at. The, um, the atmosphere in the office at Sterling Cooper, which is the firm at which the show is largely set and centred around, is uh, electric. And I think the idea of there being so many more episodes for me still to see in this show um, and seeing how it unfurls is extremely exciting at the stage of the show that I'm at. Um, there's, well, I think, obviously, there's a lot of fascinating characters in the show and um, uh, re- tr- very intriguing character dynamics, but I think the key character really is the, uh, the decade of the 1960s. The show, pretty much as I understand, spans the entire decade I think that's another reason to be excited about watching it because uh, you struggle to find a more interesting decade in terms of social changes, cultural events, and that's effortlessly interwoven into the fabric of the show from what I've seen so far. As is a particular focus on um, on advertising, inevitably, given the, th- the th- uh, thematic content, and you get sort of some insight into how some of the famous advertisements of the era in the US uh, functioned and came to being uh, and I think really that's that's part of what makes the show so interesting is the um, you know the idea that it, it tries to interrogate and capture a little bit of the uh, sort of the, the simultaneous impulses of uh, excitement and nausea that I think really permeate and sum up American society even to this day uh, and I guess that's a little bit difficult to put into words, but that's that's kind of the way I feel about it. The show is doesn't hesitate to use flashbacks as well, 
so a little bit of non-linear storytelling. I think that might intensify as the show goes on from what I've heard uh, in certain respects. The acting is top-notch, absolutely, throughout the cast. It's, I mean, at this early stage in the show, it's difficult to find um, any particular flaws with it. It's perfectly paced, and I think, <clears throat> from what I know of it and the acclaim it's had, I feel quite comfortable and secure to expect that to continue as I keep watching, so it's quite an investment in terms of time, but with a show of this standard, I think that's, um, it's, it's, well, it's a no-brainer in terms of uh, sitting down to devote a lot of time to it. And it's a lot of years since I've watched a show um, that's considered canonical from the sort of the original wave of the Golden Age in the noughties. So uh, that's where I am with it at the moment, and I'm sure everyone's got some uh, some thoughts of their own. I know you've seen it all, uh-huh, Alex. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, just exciting times in terms of uh, in terms of watching that at the moment. Yeah, so I'm, I don't have a great deal to to add to that because although I've seen all of Mad Men, um, I didn't know you were going to talk about it. Um, I think the first three seasons are incredible stellar TV. Plenty of 10 out of 10 episodes, like you've mentioned. I think uh, they all won the Emmy, didn't they, the first Yeah, three. yeah. I think it does have a weaker period, while it's never never bad or anything close to bad. Um, although it does finish on a particular high. Um, I mean, it, it, it's part of this kind of pantheon of great Northeast TV. Um, probably the last of which I'm yet to see is, or see in full, is The Americans, that I know you've mentioned before. Um, which yeah, I'm, although that's this, that's uh, 2010s. Oh, is it right? Yeah. Okay, well there you go. Okay, um, well I've just started watching that. Very good TV so far. Um, Clive, are you a Mad Men fan? Um, I've not watched any of it. It's one of those that, to be honest, isn't as you know. I'm not a massive TV watcher anyway, but it's not massively high on my list. But I've heard great things from a lot of people. Uh, it just isn't necessarily a theme that I'm that interested in. Which, if it was another, like for example, with music and films, I watch stuff. Um, I tend to, you know, have broader horizons because I just watch a lot of stuff. So I go for stuff that I don't necessarily wouldn't well, necessarily appeal to me based on the blurb. Whereas with TV shows, because I watch so few, I tend to go for I tend to play it a bit more safe, shall well, I say? It, it's probably as well <laughs> with a film. You know, it's going to be over in two hours. So even if yeah, um, with this, you think I'm going to have to invest myself in something that is. Mm. I think Mad Men might surprise you though, because it's not. It sounds stupid, but it's like it's like the old the old classic uh, film analysis phrase. You know, Jaws isn't really about a shark. Uh, mm-hmm. Mad Men's not really about advertising. Um, it isn't. Yeah, think, it isn't think, obviously. But. Mm, yeah. No, I think I would like it. Yeah, definitely. It just is. It is probably like you say. Like that time sink uh, makes me harder to commit to it to start with. with mm-hmm. Whereas, like you say, with a film, it's a bit easy to be like, oh well, this isn't what I'd usually watch, but. I've heard it's really good, so I can dedicate an hour and a half to it and <laughs> see what happens. Um, one one yeah. thing I wanted to uh, mention actually that I didn't was that um, obviously I referred to how like culture, uh, societal norms and mores sort of change over the course of the decade, and that's reflected in the show. But uh, and I think some people will probably find it difficult viewing in terms of um, attitudes to women, especially uh, also ethnic minorities in the show. But obviously that's there for a, for a good reason. And I think there was some criticism about the show. People, pe- Some people felt it was written in a sort of sneering tone. Like, oh, aren't we great? Look how far we've come. But I don't, I don't see that as a bad thing. I mean, that, that needs to be in there. Yeah. I mean, well, you, you can't... <laughs> to, to For want of a better phrase, you can't whitewash the fact that, um, you know, this era was a massively racist, sexist, homophobic, you name it era. Yeah. Um, and, you know... 
there's no point pretending that what didn't happen. And um, I wouldn't say it was all that. I wouldn't say the show, show was all that sneering. I think some people will look to find that tone. Yeah, you. Pro- I guess people project their own views on. Yeah, that. well, I mean, we project our own views onto everything. Yeah, that's how we interpret art. But some people um, will take that, especially, mm. especially if they think that the film, the TV show, was made by white men. They're going to project that analysis onto it. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, and yeah, it's interesting that it's a good, we've had discussions about this kind of thing a lot. Where just because it's got. Uh, whatever misogynism and what well, I've not seen it in it doesn't yeah. mean it's a misogynistic program. It's depicting something. We've had this kind of discussion mainly about racism and stuff. I think yeah. in previous, um, just because there's a racist character or whatever, and it doesn't make the film racist. Because the, the whole point of film or TV shows, in some instances, not always, is to you know depict reality as it was or whatever. And if it was like that, then that's how it's going to be depicted. And it's not yeah. saying that that's, that's a good and thing. Look, I mean, there is a, there is a line where um, this sort of thing. Mm. devolves into almost racism porn or kind of misogyny porn and i think that's a kind of common criticism and i understand that but i think it's one that's it's overplayed a little bit um i think mainly the issue is a lot of people would say well it's not your right to tell that story Mm. uh coming from you know a class or a sex or a race that has always been privileged and was privileged back then as well yeah. And I get that, but that's more that's more of a problem of representation in the creative fields than it is. I don't think anyone should not be able to tell a story necessarily. Yeah, um, I I agree. Yeah, but yeah, it's, there's definitely value in that viewpoint of you know stick to what yeah. you know because you're going to be able to tell that story better. Yeah, I agree. But also, with that, yeah. I think it's interesting to have other people's views on other things as long mm-hmm. as it's pretty clear that that's what it is, and it's not. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But yeah. Mm-hmm. I can see value in their argument in that form, mm-hmm. but but yeah, interesting. So um, we'll move on to Al, right? Okay. For us? Well, I'm going to talk about one that I know you've seen as well, Clive. Um, it is well, it's a 2019 film, technically, although British release is 2020. Um, it's a South Korean dark comedy thriller film, uh, Parasite, uh, yes. directed by Bong Joon Ho, who's probably better known to Western audiences for the Netflix film Okja. And the underrated kind of sci-fi thriller Snowpiercer. Um, it stars an ensemble cast who, let's be honest, uh, Western audiences won't know, but I'll certainly give them credit anyway. Uh, Song Kang Ho, Lee Sung Kyung, Cho Yo Young, uh, Choi Woo Sik, Park So Dam. If I pronounced any of those wrong, that's just my ignorance. Just called me out on it. Um, it's 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 essentially a very dark satire about. Pol- well, social classes in South Korean society. Um, a literally subterranean family who live in a basement flat in squalid conditions slowly worm their way into uh, the household of a stupidly privileged South Korean family um, by getting jobs um, and tricking the family, essentially. Um, this is all told against a backdrop of extreme wealth division, the film is somehow both hilarious at times, tragic at others, and de- downright surreal. Um, I mean, S- South Korean cinema is outstanding from what I've seen of it. Um, just like all South Korean cinema, this is exceedingly violent at times, um, inventive, and absolutely unafraid to take decisions with the narrative that are very left field. I mean, I think the one kind of Korean piece of cinema that most people have seen 
is Old Boy. And I, I know you're a big fan of Old Boy, aren't you, Michael? Certainly am, yeah. Uh, this is not Old Boy, and not in the hyper violent style of Old Boy, but it certainly has those moments. Um, what it doesn't lack for, though, is storytelling that is just almost alien, or alien in terms of foreign culture. Often I'll see a, um, I say a French film or a German film that, albeit in a different language, culturally doesn't feel all that different from the, you know, your, um, your kind of presumptions about the people in the society. But often South Korean cinema, whether it's reflecting genuine South Korean society or it's just being inventive, um, is just so left field that it's incredibly interesting to watch. I mean, the filmmaker I've discussed this with Michael before is. You know, bordering on the genius. Um, very famous story that I'll shorten for everybody here about Harvey Harvey Weinstein when he was making Snowpiercer. Harvey Weinstein, obviously, you know, he of the wandering hands, he of the scissor hands, as he's known for editing films, uh, wanted to lose a twenty-five minute sequence from it in which uh, somebody guts a fish. Uh, Bong Joon Ho um, told Weinstein that, his, <coughs> that scene was a tribute to his father, who was a fisherman. Uh, which, you know, Weinstein took to heart and said, well, you know, there's nothing more important than family do that. Bong Joon-Hoon revealed in an interview, that was a fucking lie. Uh, my father wasn't a fisherman. <laughs> um, and it's that, that kind of that kind of attitude is in this film. This is adventurous filmmaking um, that is about a class system, which not knowing enough about South Korean um, society, I don't know how accurately it reflects, but certainly feels relatable in a Western society, um, that is somehow alien at the same time. The performances are outstanding. Um, everybody in it is convincing. And there was times when I was watching the film, this often happens when I'm watching a foreign language film, where I felt like I could understand them without reading the subtitles. I don't know if my brain had almost started taking them in in a different way. But um, the performance is outstanding, um, down 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 to every, every single person. Um this is must-see cinema. Um, like I said, it's really a 2019 film, but 2020, as far as the UK is concerned. Best best film I've seen this year and already. And even though we're only a month in, there are quite a few contenders. Um, what did you think, Clive? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I'd echo your thoughts. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was fantastic. I loved the fact that it works just on the surface as a really entertaining, interesting film, but also if you like read up about, like you said, about the kind of message of the South, you know, um, South Korean society and stuff that it has, <clears throat> is also really great. And just the class, the way it <laughs> uh, critiques the class system while having a clever story is absolutely, I thought, was really, really good. Um, and yeah, it's. I echo your thoughts. It's going to take some beating. This. Um, it was just really, really bloody good. And again, it was one of those films where I just heard loads of people go, oh, this is really great. And it, on the surface, I was like, oh, I don't know if this is something that necessarily appeals. Watched it and absolutely loved it. And now I'm quite into... Uh, I, it, I followed on from this and watched Burning, which is a film uh, from last year. Yeah, I've got that one on on my list to watch. Um, which, spoiler alert, will uh, is teetering in the old top five for last year. Uh, depends. I'm watching it. I've got a couple more films to watch before I make final decisions there but it's absolutely excellent as well and features an actor that people will know uh, from The Walking Dead whose name I've forgotten uh, oh, Stephen okay. Young is it? Oh yeah okay yeah something like that um, yeah he's, and it, that, that is also excellent so and yeah just I, I agree with your points about the South Korean society it seems just so interesting and 
Well, you don't. I, I didn't know much about it. Like you know a lot about. Well, on the surface, you have you know ideas about Japanese society, for example, and things like that that you hear people talking about. Um, you don't really hear people talking about what it's like in South Korea. So it's a bit more of an alien society, even though I'm sure, for example, that the ideas of Japan and stuff we have probably aren't the right ones. I've never no, been. I'm sure not. Um, but there isn't just there isn't anything out there really about what South Korean society is like in the main zeitgeist. So it's a bit more. Uh, it certainly has a bit more of a level of intrigue, and yeah, just he's like you say, genius. Just such good ideas, completely unique. Um, couldn't really compare him to anything. I preferred this to. I really liked Okja, uh, but I preferred this. I thought this. Yeah, was so did I. Just yeah, really, really solid. There's not really a negative I could say about it. It's definitely really weird. Like there's going to be people who watch it and probably left a bit cold by it. I think, but I don't think that's a negative of it. I think it's just super challenging and. Me, what I found interesting was reading some kind of user reviews online. Some people, and I thought at first were, you know, purposefully missing the point for satire. But then the more I read, they realised it wasn't the case. Some people mm. had taken from the film that this uh, poor family who were, you know, mischievously weaving their way into this family were the bad guys of the film. And... Mm. And there was also famously Chrissy Teigen, who I barely know, but is basically a famous person, um, saying she loved the film on her Instagram. Uh, so many people commenting that she really hadn't understood the film, if that was <laughs> what she was. But um, yeah, this is a must-watch. And Michael, you would love this, guarantee mm. you. Well, I was going to say, the only two of his films that I've seen are two you didn't mention, actually, The Host and Memories of Murder, which are both classics of South Korean cinema. So mm-hmm. I'd definitely be up for seeing this. Yeah, I'll I mean, have to check those out as well. Yeah, instantly he's yeah he's instantly become one of those filmmakers where you can't miss anything he's doing anymore. Um, yeah, it, it's not going to win Best Picture at the Oscars, but um, not that the Oscars is the be all well, and end all. Well, did you see the news that broke last night? I don't know where the quote had come from, but someone had said that someone had a quote where seventeen members of the Academy had refused to watch it because they couldn't deal with the subtitles. Apparently, well, that's pathetic. They should be <laughs> what? They, they... I don't know how true this is, but I think I think yeah. it, it's probably accurate, isn't it? If that's the truth, revoke membership. Give their play, or don't even replace them for the year. Just revoke membership, and to to get in, you've got to accept that some of the films you'll get won't be in English language. I mean, that's that's utterly pathetic. I mean, it's let let's be honest, it's time for the urn. Um, I mean, and, and that's the quote, Michael Shannon, by the way. Uh, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I just think it's uh, very inconsistent that um, obviously, I mean, I haven't seen it obviously, but it's on, it's an acclaimed foreign film. It's been nominated for best picture, but this never ha- never seems to happen. I know you you mentioned when we discussed this, it's probably to do with the fact that he's drawn a profile in the West a bit. Yeah, it just seems remarkably inconsistent. Well, there was there was Roma last year, the Netflix film um, by Alfonso mm. Cuarón that yeah. was heavily was pretty much the favourite to win best picture, and then <laughs> somehow didn't get it and. Uh, it went to Green Book, which is a startlingly bad decision. Um, but um, yeah, I, I, I think, I think maybe it's getting a tokenistic vote, even though it deserves to be there. I get the feeling possibly the Oscars are put, deliberately putting in one foreign film each year, uh, even though they know it's not got a catch that, chance. That's in the thing, which doesn't it doesn't feel right, does it? No, it doesn't. But um, I, it it almost feels like you've got to say. Maybe make the best picture the best picture in the English language and just don't pretend anymore. Yeah, which is what it always mm-hmm. was, yeah. essentially. Yeah. yeah. Mm. 
But anyway, but, but even then, you're going to get in, you're getting into an argument about where are the independent films, you know? So yeah. It's, well, there yeah, you go. It's complicated. But. Yeah. Anyway, I absolutely fucking love Parasite. Um, it's my film of the year so far, and like I said, I've seen some strong contenders, uh, which I'll talk about on other pods. But um, yeah, wow, what a film! Excellent. Um, echo your thoughts. Yeah. Exciting stuff. Uh, which means it's round to me, and a bit of a rarity nowadays. I'm going to talk about a game because I have played. Um, I counted actually. I was like, oh, could I could I do a top five list? Can't. I've literally played two games <laughs> this year, last year. Uh, one of which was FIFA. Um, <laughs> the other, the other of which was Star Wars Battlefront Two, or both of which, uh, yeah, Star Wars Battlefront Two came out ages ago. Um, this year, I've picked up. Uh, Civ- Civilization 6 which is a game that came out in 2016 but was released last year on the Switch and PS4 probably Xbox as well yeah almost certainly Xbox um, because uh, my friend Paul had it at his and I've started playing it I've got um, recently into board games a lot playing a lot of board games obviously board games are turn based generally speaking and Civ 6 is a turn based it's like a giant board game so if you're into board games it's quite appealing because it's like okay it's a, it's a big board game that you could never do as a board game because it's too complicated and it'll take too long um, but essentially it's a turn based strategy game which as the title suggests is about civilization so you start uh, with kind of a one warrior and one settler in your in the dark ages or and then you kind of start a you, you know found your first city you are building uh, cities, warriors, things like that, and um, researching stuff, getting your way through the scientific uh, technology tree, all the way from like animal husbandry to you know later on rocketry and stuff like that. Um, going through all the different ages, you're also going through more like political enhancements, like you, you sort of um, start advancing your different political systems and things like that. Um, there are Unlike a lot of these games, a lot of them you kind of have to... are very combat-orientated. Even Age of Empires 2, one of my favourite games of this type, uh, which is a bit older, was mainly combat. You could win by like building a wonder and keeping it alive for a while, but generally building a wonder meant that people were just going to attack the hell out of you, uh, which isn't necessarily realistic, because just because someone built the pyramids didn't make everyone go, right, <laughs> we're going to fuck him up. <laughs> does, it does feel like human nature, though. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, a little bit. <laughs> I'm going to take that obelisk and stick it in Paris. Let's destroy something beautiful. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the tagline of humanity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um, this is a, a bit more rounded in that you can win a lot of uh, ways. So you can win domination by taking over everyone else's capital. You can win um, cultural victory, which towards the end of the game is more based on how much tourism you have. So um, how many tourists you attract. Uh, I won't go into the finite details, but basically you win uh, through the amount of tourists you have, the certain level you have to get to. Um, scientific victory means you have to um, like start a colony on Mars, which is obviously you've got to get through the whole scientific tree towards the end and be doing really well there. Um, you can win a diplomatic victory by having lots of friends, being allied to lots of people, being liked, that kind of thing. And that's more to do with the expansion that I've just bought, which I've not played as much, so I can't really go into it as deeply. Um but in the base game, there's only the four. There's domination, cultural victory, scientific victory, and religious victory. By If you could convert the majority of the field to your faith, then you also win. Um, and it's just super interesting. Like You can choose which route. All the civilizations have different... They usually have just like one unique unit and a different kind of land tile that they can build. But also, um, 
they have like certain perks of, and things that they so some people might be if you build a campus in the city it's going to get you more science than other civilizations things like that and they're kind of based historically on what they were good at um and there's leaders as well of each of the civilizations which have powers and it's just yeah super interesting learning about all the different things a bit of a history lesson as you go through um i like the fact it's turn-based because it feels feels more chilled than something like age of empires where age of empires if you switch off for two seconds um the computer's probably going to have overtaken you because they're just producing shit loads of stuff whereas uh, in Civ, it's your turn, so you can switch off as long as you like. Uh, you, <laughs> you can take three hours on your turn if you want, um, so you can kind of particularly go through things, and it's a bit less, it feels a bit less like the computer's going to overtake you. And also you can just do it in a more chilled fashion while doing something else, if you like. Um, yeah, I've just super enjoyed the, the depth of the game, um, all the different um, stuff that you can, all the different civilizations there are, all the different play methods. For me, I like to go for kind of a scientific or a cultural victory, while making sure I've got enough defence to put with. I always end up getting put next to the French, and they always hate me. Um, they pretty much always declare war on me, which last time they definitely regretted because I took their entire empire. Um, and my favourite event of someone declaring war on me was when Arabia declared war on me, and I was so far ahead of the tech tree that I had a battleship, and they were still like walking around with spearmen. And I uh, <laughs> shot at their capital city with a battleship, and then they immediately demanded to make peace. Um, which I accepted because I'm a nice guy like that. I thought you were going to say, which I didn't accept. So, <laughs> so I fucked here up comes my... genocide. <laughs> no, I, I play peacefully. I only, uh, I only, uh. I fight if I've got a fight. If someone declares war on me, I'll take, I'll take them down. But otherwise, and as soon as they want to make Good. peace, I'll usually say yeah. But, um, but, and you usually. can play like that. It's a legitimate way to win. It's not like anything's. In fact, I'd say it's quite hard to win by. Uh, dominating in, in military fashion so yeah just been playing loads of that and the switch makes it perfect because you can carry it around um which is great for this kind of turn-based thing so you just turn it off and it turns on again instantly and you can carry on with your next turn um which would just means i've been able to play it loads which i wouldn't have been able to do on the playstation stuff because you have to sit down i feel like the switch is the perfect place for it and it runs it runs really well has to be said when you get into the late game when like people have got really big civilizations it gets a bit slow but my recommendation would be if you uh, quit the game and load it up again it uh, generally sorts itself out um, but yeah Civilization 6 excellent game and I've bought an expansion for it which is quite expensive which kind of shows how much I like it <laughs> uh, yeah great little game and I'm enjoying just being a bit less like oh I've got to get through this game so I can play another one worrying a bit less how many games I'm playing um, and leaving the films and music for that kind of thing and just playing games for some downtime yeah it's been good has anyone else ever played any of these or anything similar? Um, a little bit, not a great deal. One of our friends and I suppose friend of the pod, uh, Matthew Winship, you know, he doesn't listen, so um <laughs> So we can say what we want about Yeah, him. yeah. He's um he's bald and he um <laughs> or got shit hair, whatever you want to say. Uh, um but he loves he loves civilization. Um oh, okay. and he plays it a lot, although he doesn't have a switch, but um I think he'd like he'd like the appeal of that actually. I might Pitch that to him. He's also very tight, though. Um, okay. So he's not going to buy himself a switch. So. <laughs> not just for this. Lovely okay. guy, though. Lovely guy. Okay. That's good. Yeah, it's one of those games that you can get really deep into because it's got a load of depth and like play styles and different ways to win. And every like culture thing gives you so many different things that you can't possibly remember. So there's a lot of there's a lot of depth to it. Like, yeah, harvesting all the different stuff and ugh, yeah, it, it just goes on and on, on and on and on. Um, 
But yeah, it's a very, very deep game and one that you could probably just play forever and never really get bored because there's so many different ways to play it and so many different scenarios. And it's just fun, like starting up a map and being like, okay, I've no idea what this map looks like. I have no idea who's next to me. Uh, and just exploring it and then gradually things open up as the further you get into the ages and just seeing how things unfold. Cool. So, hey. Yeah, Civilization Six, get it. And if you've got a Switch, get it on that because it's well good. For me, a better question would be, have you played any games since about 2009? And the answer would be no. Yeah. Still, <laughs> uh, yeah. so one of my favourite gaming memories is watching you attempt to play Halo. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Michael, you've never got the idea of first-person shooters, have you? The moving with the no, two sticks. don't get it. It's not for Unco- me. Uncoordinated. <laughs> to be fair, that took me a while. Like, I used to be really good at Goldeneye, which is obviously one stick. Yeah. Uh, as soon as it changes to two sticks, I am just so much worse. I'm like passable, but as soon as it's online, I'm just shit. Like everyone else seems to be really good, and I just can't seem to get better at it either. Like oh, it's just hard. I just can't do it as quickly, and then I just get shot, and then I haven't really improved because I've just died. Um, so I just find it hard to even get better. But and then I watch my brother, and he's just like headshotting people while spinning in the air and I'm just like what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, well at one, at one point Wayne took to uh, just just, uh, just coming up behind where I was respawning and punching me to death because I was <laughs> unable to do anything about it <laughs> yeah, that, that, it was fun <laughs> but uh, I'll, I'm going to tell you about my, my best gaming moment of this decade now uh, when I lived at home, my brother was playing FIFA online. He was beating someone one nil, but his dinner was ready, so he asked me to take over. Uh, <laughs> oh dear! The, he, so he disappeared off. Other team, there were there were about five <laughs> FIFA minutes left in the game. Other, <laughs> other team immediately equalised. I thought I'm going to lose here, and then somehow, miraculously, from the kickoff, I managed to run down and score a, a, a Josie Altador back heel. <laughs> to take a 2-1 lead <laughs> don't know how I did it then the other guy scored again and it finished 2-1 oh no <laughs> what a- basically I couldn't defend anything but in between I managed to not lose possession enough to score a, go- a-, a wonder goal <laughs> I think honestly sometimes the truth is just not right Michael you didn't need to hear the last bit of that it was a feel good story in the league no no it's, it's sobering you need yeah. the reality yeah oh dear uh, <laughs> Uh, needless to say, I left the replays on loop to prove to my brother that this had happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he would have definitely denied it. He, no one would have believed the Altador goal, obviously. <laughs> oh dear. Um, uh, I forgot where we were now. You've, you've <laughs> put me, I think we're back around to you, Michael. Yeah, believe so. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was just going to talk, uh, not about anything specific, but just a roundup of some of the music I've been listening to. Uh, I know towards the end of last year, on a podcast, I talked about um, how excited I was by two British hip-hop albums that I'd heard for the first time by Jay Huss and JME. Uh, as it happens, they've both just released new albums. Um, the Jay Huss album only came out last week, so I've only heard it a couple of times. So I'm not going to talk uh, about that much, but uh, I do think it's excellent. Uh the GME album came out just before Christmas. Interestingly, given some of the things we've discussed on the podcast before, it came out in physical formats only, so no streaming. Uh, so this is like a wet dream for me, obviously. Um, <laughs> so uh, nice to see uh, physical release being prioritised for once. And uh, this is very typical of GME's um, attitude, really. Um, 
he has certain views about the music industry that are well documented in his music, uh, quite cynical ones. Big fan of the DIY grime culture, he, cer- he certainly is. And um, yeah, he has a lot of principles that he sticks to and has managed to build, um, build a, a good music career out of that. A lot of his character comes through in his lyrics, undoubtedly. Um, he's not shy about advertising the fact that he's vegan and that he thinks that makes him better than you. <laughs> um, which he often transmits in a very entertaining way um, <laughs> This album's 18 tracks long But uh, other than towards the album Some of the tracks feel a little bit undercooked But generally it's very good value for the length that it is uh, The production is um, Again it rarely strays away from uh, classic grime style Just like the previous album Integrity That I discussed on, the previ- on a previous podcast um, But yeah it's uh, it's the whole album is pretty tightly constructed uh the rhymes are very entertaining and engaging i love some of his pop cultural references we've got ref- some of them are quite niche so we've got references not just to certain game series but specific games so street fighter 2 uh, sonic the hedgehog 3 for example street fighter uh, 2 was a great game did he reference turbo was it the turbo edition the ryu i think it was. okay well, it might probably turbo yeah yeah i don't know <laughs> turbo edition i don't know first game i ever owned that <laughs> first game you ever good owned. game good yeah, game it, turbo it, edition it was what, it, what's so good about the turbo edition there i have no idea i don't know if there is a non-turbo edition um mm. it came boxed with the super nintendo i got anyway great oh, great stuff nice uh, here's a question. Here's a question that I don't actually know the answer to. Are stormtroopers inaccurate at shooting? Yes, awful. Okay, there's a reference to that in, on the album. The, the, the absolute. I'm trying to think of who they compare to. It's like Yosi Altador, James in real Bond, life. Uh, James Bond buddies. <laughs> well, I think we're going to find out whether Altador listens to the podcast after this. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this Jeremy. T- tag him in it, Clive. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Jeremy makes a reference to uh, his rivals shooting at him with the accuracy of stormtroopers. So that was, <laughs> I enjoyed that. There's a reference to Mr. Bean in there that I enjoyed as well. Uh, there was actually a lyric on the first listen through of the album that uh, made me laugh out loud, which is always good. Uh, it wasn't a reference, but I just enjoyed it. He was rapping about how when he was um, younger he wanted to be a footballer. He said, I'm paraphrasing the first bit slightly, but it was something like... Uh, didn't want to smoke no spliff, didn't want to sniff no sniff. I just wanted to kick ball, but man was shit. (laughs) (laughs) So I enjoyed that, but uh, certainly not shit at making uh, standout British hip-hop albums because this is another uh, very stellar one. And, um, well, it came out, uh, I think it came out round about the same time as the new Stormzy album, which is a very good, solid album, pretty similar to his first album. Um, So I've been enjoying that as well, but I think... Even though they're completely pulls apart in terms of artistic attitude and um, you know exposure, I think these two Stormzy and Jamie albums again just show, as I've been saying for a while, how strongly British hip hop is performing at the moment from top to bottom. Uh, so yeah, that's so that's great. And then um, oh, the other thing I was going to mention was just that I've been listening a lot to the um, the American post hardcore band Fugazi, who I think are a Ooh, good band, a contender for. Uh, top band of the 90s I think for me it's between them or Pavement uh, but well sim- similar to JME really this is a band known for its integrity for um, refusing to be subsumed into the wider corporate music industry uh, never allowed their pricing at gigs to be inflated uh, a real DIY aesthetic and culture to the music that they made um, 
comprised of course of uh, Ian Mackay of Minor Threat and uh, members of um, the excellent Cult Washington uh, post hardcore band Rites of Spring. Um, so yeah, a band certainly one of the premier bands of the whole Washington punk scene, uh, the DC punk scene from the eighties and into the nineties. Uh, for Gazy. what I love about them is that I think their music, even though it's often quite aggressive, is it. I think it has a very calming and measured um, tone to it. A lot of the time, uh, it feels lovingly constructed. Their music, and I love the fact that the bass is given just as much prominence as any other instrument, uh, which doesn't mm. happen that often. Obviously, there'll often be high-profile bands where you can hear the bass, and it's it's integral to uh, the songs, but you really feel like songs or sections of a lot of sections of songs with Fugazi are written around the bass rather than around any other instrument. And I love that sort of equality, which I think is typical of their of their um, their wider ideas and philosophy. Um, six albums in total that I've been listening to. I've been listening to them all really, um, and I'm interested in maybe trying to do uh, a ranking of the songs from their albums, which I've seen done with some bands before online, and I think it's always interesting to read. So, uh, yeah, very stellar band that I've been listening to and just wanted to mention. Cool. Can't say can't say I have anything to add to that, I'm afraid, but I enjoyed the lyrics. Um, <laughs> right, yeah. Live? Common? Yeah, I've not, listened, I've not listened to enough. I've listened to... Oh, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but an album of theirs. I think it's got a blue cover. I think it's a famous one. Uh, well, it'll, probably probably might be the, it off. it'll either be Repeater or The Argument. Uh, uh, but... Which I think it might be a repeat. I can't remember, but anyway, the I enjoyed first and it, last it, albums. So yeah, it was about five or six years ago. So I need to pick it back up. And I did. Yeah, I really enjoyed the kind of the instrumentation, like you say, of what they were doing. And and yeah, I remember it being aggressive, but not in a overly aggressive way. I don't know yeah. how to describe that, but <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> <think> your description. <laughs> that's the thing. Some... It's never like a lot of nineties guitar music was very aggressive. Obviously, mm. um, from whether it's from grunge through a new metal, but. Uh, yeah, it's sort of um, I don't know. It has a more understated, um, kind of withdrawn quality to it, uh, and I think that's yeah, that's always been characteristic of them. It makes them quite an interesting band, considering they are ultimately punk, and they certainly espouse punk ideals in the way that they operated. Yeah, definitely, which is good to see. I love that. Love that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, you've inspired me. To, I've just added them to the list, so I'm going to check a bit more of them out been listening to a lot of a lot of stuff so i'll add them to the list because i can now listen to music while working which is great that's always nice yeah no I'm, although yeah. it depends what you're doing it, i wouldn't be able to do it in my job because i wouldn't be able to, some people do but i wouldn't be able to concentrate on either properly with um, in, in my job we don't really have that option but we do have the radio one i'll i'll get your opinions on this actually we've been we've gone between <laughs> radio stations to start with, we had Smooth on, which I was quite happy with, to be honest with you, some classic tracks. We've recently moved over to Kistory, which has some classic kind of 90s, noughties hip-hop, but not very inventive stuff, and it tends to repeat itself. I was just going to say, I've listened to Kistory before, not a lot, but I imagine it would become very samey. Well, yeah, you pretty much, every single day, you will get, um, you'll get some Snoop Dogg, you'll get some Eminem, You'll get some, um, you know, Destiny's Child. You know, you, you're getting pretty much the same track every it day. It sounds like it's covering too small an era yeah, as well. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Mm. 
So you might, what's going to be next then? Um, that's the thing. I'm trying to argue that we should go to, because it is a digital radio, BBC Radio 6 Music, but that's got a hard no from everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite edgy. It, I, it's my choice. I think it's a good, yeah. the best radio station. But it's also a bit... It's cha- it's a challenging radio station, which is what I like about it. Because <laughs> I, like <laughs> I like to listen to music that... I just like to listen to what's coming out and, and listen to new stuff, not necessarily in genres that I would normally stick to. And But it's a different way of listening to music than someone wanting to listen to something that they absolutely know they're probably going to enjoy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people don't want to be challenged in that way, which is fine. Yeah. Uh, what sort of tastes are we talking about? And age? What sort of age? Um, the age, I think the oldest person in the office is, I don't know exactly, but they've implied that they're, they're in the 30s, definitely, but um, they've implied that they're older than me. Everyone else is so kind of pretty young. L- late 20s, I would say. Yeah, it's okay. bit Radio 1 feels inevitable, man. Yeah, it does. <laughs> and I'm fine with that for some of the time, yeah. Yeah, I listen, I listen to it in the car, uh, which is yeah, which is fine. I don't know what it would yeah. be like to listen to all day, though. Yeah. yeah. We shall have to. I'll report back on the next pod. I'll yeah, su- do. Keep I'll, su- I'll suggest on. Radio 1. <laughs> See how it goes. Yeah. Maybe you could review it for us. Um, <laughs> but um, we're over to you, Al, anyway, so you tell us what, okay. what you're actually going to review. Well, I'm going to review um, pretty much the biggest release, probably, of 2019. Um, this is the third of the new Star Wars trilogy, or the, the ninth of what they're calling the Skywalker saga. And allegedly, it won't be the last Star Wars film, but they're saying it's going to be the last involving any of these characters. Uh, Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker, um, directed by J.J. Abrams, who also directed the, the first of this trilogy, The Force Awakens, starring mm. an ensemble cast that most people will know: um, Daisy Ridley, John Boyega, uh, Oscar Isaac, um, Mark Hamill, Adam Driver, uh, Carrie, Fi- Ke- Carrie Fisher. Although they were mainly using, well, almost entirely using scenes that were shot and not used from other films. Um, Donald Gleeson, Richard E. Grant, uh, Ian McDiarmid, loads of people. Anyway, um, this this trilogy so far, I'd actually been pretty impressed with. Um, there was it was nothing like the prequel trilogy, which were convoluted, had crap CG, and made no sense whatsoever. Um, <laughs> the f- the first one, um, The Force Awakens, um, was a pure nostalgia fest as in as it had pretty much the same plot as the original star wars but with different characters but i didn't mind that it was done it was a bit like and we we talked about this before the podcast started recording it's a little bit like the recent resident evil uh, remakes um it's basically the same thing but felt fresh enough and freshened mm. up if you like uh, i enjoyed that Star Wars The Last Jedi, the, the second one, was polarising. A, a lot of people, particularly what I would define as alt-right uh, people online, hated it because um, of its gender politics and um, thought, felt it was diverging from the kind of the Star Wars way of it. Um, I really, really liked The Last Jedi, and, and the more I think about it and the more I've watched it, the more I like it. Um, and then you come to The Rise of Skywalker, which is... The best way I can sum it up is a reaction to that reaction. Um, just just from the offset here, by the way, I'm going to be spoiling all of the Star Wars films here. So if you haven't seen them, get I would, out now. I'll get out, yeah, because <laughs> I figure that everybody who wants to see it or is desperate to see it will have seen it by now anyway. So I don't think I'll be spoiling it for anyone, but I thought I'd give you the warning anyway. Um, 
a lot of people's problem with The Last Jedi was that the main character Daisy Ridley, uh, sorry, Ray, played by Daisy Ridley, um, was revealed to have no particular lineage, coming from not nothing, just a poor girl. Um, it had been hinted that she'd been part of some, you know, huge lineage, but then she was nothing, and that was what a lot of people had a problem with, and then they'd killed off um, Snoke, who was the, the main big, big bad guy. So the, the third film in this trilogy had an interesting point to start with, you know, having no big bad guy other mm. than a conflicted Adam Driver, um, otherwise known as Kylo Ren, and having no big reveal for its character. Um, so they decided, fuck what happened in the last film. Uh, actually, your dad's the Emperor. Uh, <laughs> not your dad, your granddad's the Emperor. And um, Oh yeah, he's not dead, even though we saw Darth Vader throw him into a chasm at the end of uh, Return of the Jedi. Um, he's back, and somehow he's managed to construct a mega fleet, all of which have the capability of one Death Star. So that's hard to beat, isn't it? Um, um, and we're going to have you go around loads of planets like a computer game, trying to get a mystery key, which will get you through there, and um, then it'll be a bit shit. Um <laughs> I mean, The Rise of Skywalker, from a lot of perspectives, is enjoyable in the sense that the, it visually is stunning. Uh, J.J. Abrams is a director for full of visual flair. Uh, the action is good. And to be honest with you, the performances are fine. Adam Driver is, is always good value for money, and he's he's spiteful in this and um, vulnerable as usual. Um, but the plot is pretty nonsensical. Um, they took everything that was in the last film and chucked it in the bin, basically. Um, and whether you like the last film or not you've got to accept it made, makes no sense whatsoever in the pantheon of this trilogy I think whoever's you know in general creative control at Disney should either have not let Ryan Johnson make The Last Jedi kept it the way that you know they'd originally started out with on Force Awakens or they should have gone with it for this film um, because what you're left with is a total mess um, it's like having um I don't know, beans and chocolate brownie together. It makes no sense, you know. <laughs> Nobody in their right mind is eating that. Um, they might be in a post-Brexit Britain. Yeah, in a post-Brexit Britain, maybe. But um, it just, it to, to me, it was profoundly unsatisfying. There were elements of it and plot points in it, such as um, Kylo Ren, otherwise known as Ben Solo, uh, coming back to the light, which felt inevitable, and I had no problem with that, and that was done okay. But... I think the fact that they just brought back a big bad guy who'd not been there, and they didn't even bring him back well. It was just in, you know, the opening crawl. Oh, he's back. Um, you know, he's here. He's badder than ever. Uh, uh, um, oh, yeah, and you know how we said she's from nothing? Yeah, we lied. Uh, uh, yeah, and um, I'd be lying if I said I totally didn't enjoy it, because I came out of the cinema in some respects satisfied because, you know, it's Star Wars, it's bombastic action, it's, you know, it's space opera. And I'm not expecting Star Wars to have the most well-plotted narrative. Um, but it was a series of bizarre decisions. It felt like a sequel to The Force Awakens, but not a sequel to The Last Jedi. And I found mm. The Last Jedi to be much more interesting um, with its, you know, its decision-making. I think uh, there was an interview that Ryan Johnson did, that's the director of The Last Jedi, um, where he said that 
the hardest thing in The Empire Strikes Back for the fans to hear was that Darth Vader was Luke Skywalker's dad. That's not what you're anticipating. It, obviously, by the time that we, our generation saw it, we knew this already, but that's not what... If you were watching that in 1970-whatever, that was not what you were, you were expecting. That was a hard mm. thing for you to hear. It was a hard thing for Luke to hear. So he said the hardest thing for the fans in this generation to hear is that this Rey, who is obviously special with the Force, has come from nothing. And the implication being that anybody... You know, can come from something to be something, and that's the final shot of the Last Jedi is a a cattle hand who manages to pick up a broom with the Force, just looking out, you know, a la classic Star Wars shot, and that was just kind of thrown away with this one. Um, mm, that's true. And it, it was just, you know, it was it was let's get into bed, put the duvet around us, and eat branded ice cream. You know, it was comfort comfort decision, and. I just found it a whole le- whole lot less interesting. Um, have you seen this talk, Clive? Um, I have, yeah. I went to see this in the IMAX, as is tradition, with me, Cable, Josh and Co. And to be fair, I really enjoyed it at the time. Um, I think all your criticisms are valid. And if you look, as, look at it as a trilogy, then it doesn't make any sense because the second one does stand out as being, in my opinion, the best one, but in other, in other people's opinion, the one that ruins it. Um, and you, you can sort of... It's the one that sticks out and it doesn't really make sense with the other two, like you say. Yeah. So you can see why people say that's the one that ruined yeah, it. I, mean, yeah. I think it's the one that made it interesting and they should have carried on with that thread. Yeah. Um, but I, I enjoyed it because I watched I watched it at the IMAX. It was a really good experience. It's like, you know, it's the best effects you're going to get. I remember particularly there's a bit in the water with like a wave and that bit was like one of the, like, I don't know, it felt like I was on the wave and I've never had that before. When I've watched anything, um, so I just got really into it for, for that reason. It was just this giant space opera. Everything's just massive, whatever, um, and I had a fun time. I haven't really thought a lot about it, and if I did think too much about it, I pretty much agree with all your points. So <laughs> it, it kind of falls short as a as a part of the trilogy. Um, I think on its own, it's it's fine. Uh, it's pretty pretty entertaining and good. Like you say, there's good performances and it, it's. It's all right, but yeah, as a as part of the trilogy, it's just a bit. They have they didn't have a. I mean, they did it like some TV series where they're trying to figure out what they're going to do next. But even as a TV series, you generally do that. We're going to do one season. We know where this season's going, and then next season, okay, now we'll try and figure it out. Where could we go? Mm. Um, but doing that in a trilogy of films seems with this scale seems a bit weird yeah. and it's a bit bizarre that they didn't have okay this is where the three films are going yeah we'll get in different directors but this is the story stick to it to some degree you can faff around with the you know the, the little the little details sure but it needs to be this is what needs to happen and it feels yeah. like they would have much of a cohesive story as a whole rather than going oh you've got creative reign you've got creative reign you've got creative reign and then just do what you want and they're just kind of like you say it is a mess because they're just all <laughs> doing different yeah, stuff I and mean, going well I want to go this way uh, <laughs> I mean uh, just weird judged on its own it's not a bad film it's you know reasonable pretty decent mm-hmm. um, but you can't really judge a Star Wars film as a standalone they're not meant to be that way they've always been as a series um, and yeah, like you, you summed it up perfectly there. You either, well, you shouldn't have really got in a, a creative director like Ryan Johnson. And if you know, fair enough, they gave him the free reign. They brought him in and they gave him what mm. he wanted. But then it just means everything's disjointed. So they either shouldn't have used him, 
Or used him twice. Yeah, I used him <laughs> twice, or just got into yeah. somebody for the third one who's going to play by, you know, the kind of the mm. rules he'd set. And um, yeah, that, I was ultimately disappointed, and I could understand why a lot of people will have really liked it. And if you hated um, the Last Jedi, you probably felt like it was a return to form, even though you've got to accept it makes no sense in terms of the trilogy. But um, yeah. I mean, the very last line of it as well made absolutely no sense. Um, to anybody who hasn't seen it, she's on Tatooine, you know, the classic home of Luke Skywalker, um, burying a lightsaber, and someone says, who are you? And she says, Ray." And she says, um, "Ray who? And then she says, "Ray Skywalker, and it's supposed to be a profound moment, and you can see the ghosts of uh, Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia. She, she may as well have said, "Ray who? Ray Star Wars. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it makes no fucking sense. I mean, it's like, but yeah, I mean, like, I'd be lying if it said it's a bad film. And in isolation, not a bad film at all. Highly enjoyable kind of space. It opera. has all the things that make um, that made the first one good. In that, you know, the character interaction between the characters is good. The chemistry is really good. They're funny. Um, it has like random cute robots. It's got all that shit going on, which you know makes it enjoyable to watch. But yeah, as, as you yeah. say, as a whole, it's a bit bizarre. And there's some even even just on its own, there are some weird decisions, such as did we really need this giant fleet of? Uh, oh, that, that, <laughs> that, that was I hate that. By the way, I mean you've totally cheapened the Death Star, mm-hmm. and you know suddenly you've got the technology to put this on every single ship. I mean, that was just stupid. In fact, why did those fleets even need to be there? I don't get that. Um, that was a weird decision. Um, and there was, there's a moment in the film, by the way, where it looks like they've killed Chewbacca. And I thought that was at the time I was nearly... Well, not that I would ever would, because making noise in the cinema is bad. I nearly applauded <laughs> at that point, because as much as I love Chewbacca, that was actually you know quite brave. And then, oh, no, mm-hmm. he's alive. Um, <laughs> um, but, yeah... Um, pretty disappointed from my perspective but lying if i said it was a bad film or i didn't enjoy it in part yeah sure no i think that's i can agree on that um right cool well we are oh, hang on what time we're on before we move Ooh. on i want to hear michael's thoughts and i know he doesn't know anything about star wars which is why <laughs> i want to hear his thoughts okay uh yeah i mean i, I don't know what most of that discussion was about, obviously. But, yeah. Uh, the shit bits sound hilarious. <laughs> there we go. The shit bits or the ship bits. Shit. Oh, well, okay. it sounded like there was a lot of crossover, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, the, the shit bits were generally the shit bits. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that was intentional. Um, Maybe, yeah. I'm just trying to cause confusion. Um, right, we're up to... I've about to turn the brightness down because my computer's battery's running out. Uh, I think anyway I'll hurry up basically is the gist because I think we're <laughs> over an hour I can't quite read it um, I've got a film that came out this year another big probably the second biggest maybe of the uh, behind Star Wars um, which is all this when did Star Wars Star Wars came out last year fucking hell Clive so you sent out um, one of the biggest ones for this week which is 1917 it's all over the buses you see it on the buses it's got must see in capital letters it's like everyone's got to see this it's really good so I was like, ah, oh, best probably go see it. <laughs> um, so I went to see it, and to be fair, it was really good. Um, I'll just read the, the the Wikipedia bit, so you've got a little bit of an idea of who directed it, and you know, useful information before I waffle on about stuff that's <laughs> less useful. Nineteen Seventeen is a twenty nineteen epic war film. It came out twenty. It was twenty twenty in England, right? Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, it was like the start of the year. Directed, co-written and produced by Sam Mendes. The film stars George Mackay and Dean Charles Chapman with Mark Strong, Andrew Scott, Richard Madden, Claire Dubuc, Colin Firth and Benedict Cumberbatch in supporting roles. It's based in part on an account told to Mendes by his parental grandfather. Um, basically, uh, this is a bit where I'll sack Wikipedia off and go on my own. Uh, basically, it's about two people. They get given a mission um, that they need to go and pass on a message to a company, I think it's called, um, it, further further north or south or some, somewhere else, quite far away, um, that are basically walking into a trap that the Germans have set. Um, the only way they can get this message across because it's the First World War and they can't just get on Twitter is they need to send the people across the battlefield at 7th um, Battalion <laughs> it's <a> guys <laughs> fact, they don't even say that they just put that meme of General Akbar from Return of the Jedi it's a trap <laughs> right abort abort yeah a lot more difficult back in the day it turns out um, you, couldn't, you couldn't really pull off this, this tactic uh, nowadays um, so yeah, they they get sent across, um, and the reason one of them gets picked, I can't remember which actor it is. I think it's is it Mackay who plays the the guy whose brother is in the other company. No, no, no. It's um, that's Dean oh. Charles, whatever his name is. Okay, right, Dean Double <laughs> Tom, Diamond, Tomman from Dean. Game of Thrones. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He gets um, they he pick him because his brother is in this other company. So you know, a bit of an emotional tie, which means he's probably going to be more determined. Um, the sort of the thing that's special about the film, one of the things that's special about the film is it's essentially filmed in a way that makes it seem like it's one shot. Um, it's not, obviously, because he's just filming two hours in a row is the kind of thing that only a film called Victoria would attempt. Um, but, <laughs> and, and that's not quite on this scale. Um, so it's obviously set out into lots of uh, separate long shots and sometimes you can see where the edits are. But anyway, that style, sometimes I've, I've in the past I've had it's one of those bit nerdy things that people say where it's like, oh, did you see that film? It was really good. It had a 15-minute really long shot. And I was like, but does that make it good? What was good about the long shot? Yeah. <laughs> I've certainly had it in the past where I've just been like, well, I mean, yeah, it was fine, but it didn't need to be a long shot. I would have been equally good without it. So I don't see why that necessarily makes it any better. Uh, this is definitely an instance where it works. Um, I think it really immersed me in it. It felt like I was with, with the two guys going through all the the stuff that they were going through. Um, it looks absolutely stunning, the way they've recreated the battlefields and things, um, and is quite gruesome. And I like the way that actually in the... Not, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that nothing... Some some stuff happens, but it's nothing. It's not a particularly gruesome film in general in terms of the action happening. However, the stuff you see littered around the battlefield and stuff is really gruesome, and the kind of spoils of war that are brought across are really gruesome. And I think that's really good, the way it brings that across. Um just of just how you know the, the damage that war causes i think is fantastic i loved the way that it's not just constant action there's a lot of bits where they're going through and it's a bit more like you're anticipating what's going to happen and you're just kind of more just like looking at what's going on a bit like they are they it's all new to them what they're going through what they're looking at um and you feel like you're kind of going through that experience with them then it's kind of littered with a few i'm not going to say any spoilers here but littered with a few events throughout which i think are done really well there's one scene in particular um where there's some singing um like a group a group of a company singing 
and they just sing the song. And as far as I know, I don't think there's... I can't remember how much music there is in the film. I don't remember there being loads. Um, but that was a really affecting moment and kind of... I'll be a bit spoiler to say too much more, but yeah, I, I thought that moment was really affecting. Um, the two main actors playing the two the two lead roles are absolutely fantastic. Uh, they completely sold me on what was happening and engrossed me in it. Um I think it's also good that they picked two actors that are, you know, relatively not that well known because it, I think it made that a little bit more believable. I think if we'd had Brad Pitt uh, running around, it would have been a bit more like, oh, this is a Hollywood movie and I'm not watching yeah. two actual people go through a war. No, um, he's, he's fucking 50 as well. He's no way. Yeah. <laughs> we don't care about that company. Brad Pitt. <laughs> go on a completely pointless mission. Or uh, sort of. Um, but there's a couple of events in the film which I thought, like, well, that's a bit odd that, that, for example, certain people didn't help or whatever, but I'm sure it uh, all makes sense in the grand scheme of things. And I don't really have any criticism of it. I thought it was excellent, a really kind of poetic film, which I went into it thinking, oh, you know, if it's all over buses and everyone's going on about it, I'm kind of inclined to to want to hate it yeah. um, because I'm a contrarian. <laughs> well, t- <laughs> however, I <laughs> to be fair, if it's if it's on a bus, it's probably a lie nowadays. <laughs> yeah. That's the assumption. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Must see. Although in this case, I'd say it's actually kind of true. Yeah. You probably should go and see it. Um it's certainly I've not seen many first world war films, but I'd certainly put it uh of the zero of the one I've seen, this is definitely top. Um yeah, it's great. It's really immersive and just brings across the crap that was going on. And just I like the fact that it's a simple story and it's not too ambitious. It's ambitious in other ways, um, but I like the fact that you know we've got this really simple story. It's just two guys trying to get somewhere um, throughout the two hours of the film. And I like that and that they've threaded in some interesting things within that, but not made the story overly complex and kept it very much... Because you're always with those guys... It's super simple. Uh, it's not like cutting between different things going on at the same time and all that. And yeah, I really like that about it. And I think that was done really well. And I think this is a really good example of how to do long shots and use it to make something more immersive. Yeah, definitely uh, kind of... There's many things about this that perplex me and how they, how they bloody did it, how it was possible. Particularly like just how detailed the battlefields are and how they don't seem... They just seem to be going on and on and on. Uh, and you're just like, how did they manage to recreate this? <laughs> and I'm yeah. sure a lot of it's CGI. But um, yeah, I thought it was really, really impressive and will definitely be up there at the end of the year, along with Parasite, of the best films, I imagine. Unless... What did you think? Uh, I'm assuming you've seen it now. I have, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I pretty much echo your thoughts. Um, I went into it not with a huge amount of trepidation, but thinking it's going to be good, but not all that interesting. Um, and... Let's be fair, it doesn't say a huge amount that other films haven't said about war, but um, mm. it was a visually spectacular and immersive experience. Um, you know, you, you do feel like you're there. Um, it's always inventive, and it's it's got the patience required uh, to, you know, to set the tension for when the inevitable action does happen. And there's nothing jingoistic about it, which was good for me. And, but it wasn't equally, it wasn't equally, uh, it wasn't too kind of, oh, the horrors of war, kind of like, um, this was just two soldiers basically trying to survive and doing what they needed to do at the same time. So they had, there was enough sense of them, you know, realistically doing their duty without mm. them being just, you know, all action heroes. Yeah. Um, 
it, it's in a, it's quite an exhausting film to watch because of <laughs> the um, you know the pace it sets and what I would liken it to, and I don't mean this as a criticism, it reminded me of the film Gravity, uh, you know the Sandra Bullock film, mm-hmm. in the sense that this is well for a start it's. I can't imagine seeing this anywhere other than the cinema. It's such a, you know, mm. an immersive roller coaster I, experience. Yeah, I was, uh, this, I, that's funny because I actually compared it to the same thing. <laughs> yeah. For, for, for exactly the same reason. Yeah. I think this wouldn't necessarily, this isn't going to translate well to just watching it on your 10 inch laptop in bed. Yeah. Um, I oh, don't no. think. And this is all about the experience. But that I don't think that makes it any less yeah. of a feat than. And what, what I'm going to say next is going to sound like a criticism. I'm not sure it needs to be seen again. As in, and I'd say the mm. same about Gravity. I think it was a one-off. I really enjoyed it. I was really impressed by it. And although I wouldn't personally give it any kind of awards for Best Picture, I, I wouldn't have a problem if it wins. Um, I'm not sure how it would... I, I, don't get me wrong, it's not suddenly going to be a bad film on repeat viewing, but um, I don't know what experience you would get out of it. I'm not sure if there is enough... Mm. Um, enough I know what you mean. Enough, I don't know, to think about, but... Um, it was for, for what it is, and this again. It sounds like I'm criticising it, and I'm not because I thought it was it was an immense piece of filmmaking. It it was truly spectacular, and um, mm. incidentally, a lot of it, well, maybe not a lot of it, but quite a f- fair amount of it was filmed at the Tees Barrage in Stockton oh. Tees. So there you go. Oh wow, okay, that's good to know. Um, mainly the underwater bits, from what I understand. <laughs> mainly the really smoggy bits. Yeah, the smoggy bits. Yeah. And uh, well, you know, all of those you were talking about the spoils of war, the horror. Yeah, that was just a car park in Middlesbrough. <laughs> now that's where they found it. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, they just keep seem to be going on and on and on. Where is this place? <laughs> it, was just, it was just Middlesbrough. We right, finally okay. followed up the friction match and Blade Runner as something to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think your point about watching it once is a good one, and I think it ties in with this is it's just all about the experience, isn't it? And I think it's a bit like you've experienced it. It's a bit like when you experience something in real life, you don't want to, have to you don't necessarily want to go through that thing again. Oh yeah, yeah. But uh, <laughs> and, because it's like, you're experiencing everything like them, very on a surface level, it's not necessarily I, I, there's much beyond that. Yeah. But in a way, that's quite refreshing. It's um, I'll, I'll put it this way because I feel like I've been, even though I've been giving it praise, I feel like I've been a bit down on it by saying those things. No, I don't think so. So I'm going to say this: it's one of the great one watch films, <clears> as in like, and, and the, they are a genre unto themselves. But it's one of the great one watch films. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that definitely. It's and it's it's the kind of film that anyone's probably going to enjoy. I think. Yeah, I don't think anyone's uh, going to come out of it. And I, I want to say actually, just just because I've just remembered it, um, this whole hysteria. Uh, you had that fucking um, corpse actor or whatever his name is. Um, <laughs> corpse. Um, who was the, the guy? You know that stupid fucking that Burke from Question Time. That fucking rat rat face. Uh, Possum bloke. Who, um, who, um, <laughs> I'm trying to know what you mean. Who, who um, oh, was anti-woke. Uh, and he was basically saying, he, he was <laughs> criticising it for having a scene with a Sikh soldier saying, oh, it's just so woke. They wouldn't have been mixed in. Fucking, you know, what are you talking about? Fucking read a book before you make <laughs> this comment. I mean, it's, you know, they were absolutely mixed in. And they absolutely, I mean, it's just absurd that you would make such a claim <laughs> That is historically mm. disprovable. Fucking get in the fire and the, burn. Let's, there's, mon- <laughs> there's money to be made from the positions he's assumed. Let's say no Well, yeah, he's, he's yeah. just trying to be the, the male king. Especially Hawkins. since he's never going to make any from acting or music. Well, music. no, he's like just a sad sack, you know, 
sad sack loser who just wants to be famous. Sorry, it's just it's not really on the topic of nineteen seventeen, but he just but he's basically anti accurate. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> we want to keep this image that everything great was done by white people only, I mean, and we are just the greatest, and that's the way it's been. So it must be true, right? And we can't possibly have anything that says anything different because you must be wrong, and therefore you're just being woke and a bit of a knob. Yeah, he's just that's like I mean, I'm actually annoyed it. that he gets as much much <laughs> oxygen as I get. Yeah, well, we've we've played yeah. into it a bit by mentioning him. But. Yeah, well, no, have we mentioned him my name yet? No, no, and I'm not going to. So there you go. <laughs> Um, I hope he listens to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, not bad. <laughs> if you do listen to the podcast, I hope you get a bag of pick and mix and make the very unwise decision to try and eat one of those big jelly snakes in one go and slowly choke on it. <laughs> okay. the worst way to die, I think. I don't actually know his name, so I suppose that's a good thing. Well, yeah, there you go. Don't learn. I hadn't heard about him at yeah. all. But yeah, well, I, like I just thought it was vaguely 1917 because he made that point and he made it on, I think it was on, what, GMTV? Is that what they call it now? Good Morning Britain. Yeah, anyway. Um, With good old ridiculous. I mean, I can't believe someone's made that point. I'm yeah, no, but he just did that. And then on the show, <laughs> they basically said, now nah, this happened. And he was just like, oh, oh. <laughs> just like, why would you make, why, like, even just from, you know, a functioning as a human perspective, why would you make such a claim that's so obviously disprovable? <laughs> I mean, fuck it now. Uh, but yeah, anyway, back 1917, really good. Definitely worth seeing at the cinema. Yeah, agreed. So I'm sure it'll be, um, it's probably finishing soon, but get out there, watch it in the cinema mm-hmm. because it won't be as good on other stuff. Um, awesome. I think that's, uh, that's us done, isn't it? It is. It's t- which means uh, next episode we'll be talking about lists, and everyone loved a good list. We will have them prepared. Uh, yeah, I've certainly been thinking about mine way more than mine yourself. already. Oh, ooh. My actually, um, and no, I feel like February's a good is uh, February's a good time to do it because it's a bit like you know we can challenge the Oscars. We can be like a better Oscars. Yep. <laughs> um, because we we don't mind subtitles. No, we like. In fact, we encourage them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I love it. Yeah, I love I mean, it. reading. I, and me and Michael love subtitles so much that once we went to see Zero Dark Thirty in subtitles, even though it was it was in English, yeah, hadn't been dubbed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In what? Been, where was this? No, we, we just booked a subtitle screening by accident. <laughs> oh, okay. So it wasn't yeah. dubbed. You didn't. You weren't in another country, and it was no, dubbed no, version no. that also. Anyway, right, riddle for you, Clive. Ooh. Um, what can stop water escaping or widen an arsehole? <laughs> <laughs> you must be talking about a plug! I am. <laughs> not usually both at the same time, though. <laughs> yep, not often. <laughs> <laughs> Which means it must be plug time. It's been a while since I've done this, so this is going to be the worst one ever. At StickAroundCast on Twitter, slash StickAroundPodcast on the interwebs. That's We've got all our episodes there. You can find us on any of the podcast apps. Just type in stick around and uh, give us a subscribe. Um, hopefully we'll be doing things a bit more regularly now that I've got this lovely little setup, which is portable, which means I can do it wherever I want. How beautiful. Um, you can send us emails by going to stickaroundpodcast.com um, where there's a form. You can like say contact and then you can send us a thing there. It's very, it's very futuristic. It's great. You should try it. feels really <laughs> satisfying to send us emails. Um, give us five stars on iTunes because we get a little bump in the old ratings every time someone does that so that's always nice uh, we might even shout you out on the show in fact if you give us a five star review I will shout you out I will say you are great 
And I don't know, you might be an absolute knob, so this might be your chance yeah. to get some positive feedback. Um, and I think that's it. Oh, we're on Instagram. Slash stick around podcast there, I think. And we're on basically everything. If you just search stick around, annoyingly, if you search stick around in Google, something else will come up, which is nothing to do with us and is a million times worse. At, at but, least, literally a million. At least, but the, whoever these people are, obviously paid Google off, um, and we live in a capitalist, shitty society. Yeah. But I'm not succumbing to it, so we won't resort I'm like, to Google I'm like, bombing. Yeah, I'm like Fugazi or whatever they're called. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm I've keeping never, it real. I've never been sure how to say it. I'm kind of saying it Fugazi purely because of the scene in The Wolf of Wall Street. I, don't, ah, I, just, yeah. I just don't know what the correct answer is. Should we, um, should we release physical only copies of the pod in future? You can only get them on CD. On CD. Yeah. I mean, it seems a bit of a shit on the environment, but yeah. Yeah, fuck it. <laughs> it's good for GME. Yeah. <laughs> you can get this impractical... Imagine that. It would just be hundreds of CDs lying around. Imagine if we'd put every one on a CD. We'd have 143 CDs by now. Absolutely ludicrous. I've, I've, Nearly as big as uh, your CD no, collection. No, about a 10% of his CD collection. <laughs> <laughs> I've just uh, laughably realised that I didn't actually give the name of Jeremy's album. It's, oh, go on it's called Grime MC. Yeah. <laughs> I could have guessed that. <laughs> it was actually guessable, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, um, um, yeah, I think that's us. Make sure you come back next time for this. If, if you tweet us, make sure you include at 7th Battalion. Yeah. I'm sure someone will have that handle. Don't know who they are, but it'll be funny. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know if they're called the 7th Italian in the film. It doesn't matter. <laughs> anyway, see you next time, guys. Yeah, speak to you soon. Bye, Bye everyone. Bye-bye. Stick around. Oh, yeah. Stick around. Stick around. Thank you all for listening Rest assured that you have found The best podcast in the universe It's Stick Around